Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Well, it is, it is good to be with you on this Christmas Eve, um, and I'm so glad you made it. Are you excited to be here? All right, how many excited to be here? All right, hey, you guys know the drill. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him you love him. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, go Kansas City Chiefs. No. Really, really. Um, hey, tonight, I, I just got a few minutes I want to spend uh, talking about uh, what we have been singing about all night, and that's joy. And uh, I'm going to make a case uh, for us as followers of Jesus, and not just followers of Jesus, maybe you're here for the first time and you've, uh, you're trying to figure out what this Christian thing is or following Jesus thing is. I'm making a case that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our lives should radiate. Everyone say radiate. Come on, it should, be, it should be radiating with joy. I'm talking like we need to kick some chairs over and, and do some celebrating kind of joy, right? I, I think Christians should be the best at um, throwing, throwing I, can I say this in church? Throwing some parties. All right, few of you believe that. So you guys are the right group tonight as we talk about um, joy. Um, but I want to thank you for all your prayers. Uh, again, if you weren't here on Sunday, uh, we just kind of let everyone know that uh, we have four kids, um, four babies right now under the age of 13 months. My wife gave birth to our third set of twins on Monday, December 16th. And no NICU. And uh, for twins, they basically came full term. So right now we got seven, seven kids in our house. Uh, before we got here, I had to change all four of my kids. It took about a year off my life. I don't know how we're going to do this. Like, I, sometimes I wonder, like, am I in a cult? Like, dad, am I? I'm kidding. That's, that's, was that a bad joke? Um, but I, thank you for your prayers. We're doing really well. We will see you in 2025. All right, Luke chapter 2. This is the Christmas story. We're going to be in verse 1. Says this, in those days a decree went out from uh, Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Everyone say Bethlehem. Because he was of the house, right, and lineage of David. And then we transitioned to be registered with Mary, Luke tells us, his betrothed, who was with child. And Luke continues to tell the story, and this drama unfolds. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, turn to your neighbor and say, fear not. Fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news, right? Glad tidings is a different translation. The Greek word, if you love Greek, is evangelion, which means essentially, essentially good news of great joy that will be for just the Democrats. That's a bad joke in Idaho, sorry. All the Republicans. <laughs> wow, all right. For just a few people, for those who have a big IQ, for the beautiful, right? No, 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 no. For, and this is good news, for all, could you say that? All the people. Is that a good thing or bad thing? I think it's pretty good, right? And then we continue in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. Lord Kyrios is the Greek term. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And verse, I think, verse 13, and suddenly, I love this, God loves to surprise us. He loves to do uh, unexpected things in our life. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, verse 14, as we close, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and joy among those with whom he is well pleased. It's pretty good stuff. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you that you're with us here this evening. Lord, I thank you for strength. I thank you for your energy. Lord, I bless everyone here tonight. Lord, I think as we go to our homes this evening and spend time with our families and open up presents, Lord, let your presence mark out our Christmas uh, evening, uh, our, our Christmas season, and Lord, as we move into 2020, in Jesus' name, we love you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the New York Times. Anyone want to read the New York Times? <laughs> My dad said no. Like Chris, you're in Idaho, right? New York Times, are you kidding me? I was reading the New York Times, and uh, this author was observing Yale University and uh, he was pretty shocked with this kind of, uh, this pretty big event that happened. There was a psychology prof who offered this class called, I think it's like Psychology and the Good Life, which is basically about human flourishing and uh, self-improvement, happiness, kind of a happiness project kind of class. Uh, it's rooted in how we as, as humans, right, can be content. So they offered this class, and to the shock of this um, psychology prof, in three days, everyone say three days. In three stinking days, 1,200 students enrolled, which if you don't know anything about Yale, like I don't know anything about Yale, but that's one-fourth of the Yale undergraduate population. In fact, this class was held as the most popular class in Yale's illustrious history. In fact, one student... Uh, was interviewed, who was enrolled in this class, said this, in reality, and I think she represents where a lot of Americans are, out, are at in their lives, and she said, in reality, a lot of us are anxious. Have you ever felt anxious before? A lot of us are stressed out. Try seven babies. Man, you get stressed really quick, right? Many of us are unhappy, and then she said, I'm just plain numb, and I felt like I was supposed to be a part of this class, Happiness, 
joy, contentment, human flourishing is on the minds of these uh, Yale students. And it's not just Yale students, but this is a cultural phenomenon. We, we're trying to figure out this elusive thing, right, called happiness. Uh, we know deep down in our bones that uh, we, we long, right, to be happy. How many of you want to be happy? One, two, th- about eight of you? Okay. I mean, come on, it's not, it's not a rhetorical, like, trick question, right? We all, right, want to be happy. We know this, if, if you know anything about church history, Augustine to Aquinas to Pascal, they all teach that God has designed us not only to long for joy, but to partner or participate in the joy that God has. In fact, we as Americans know, right, we, we know that happiness is a constitutionalized thing. Uh, we in the Declaration of Independence are told that life, we're given this inalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this pursuit of happiness is a centerpiece of our cultural experiment. Yet, everyone say yet. yet. We've constitutionalized, just stay with me, happiness. We want to be happy, right? We know in our bones that our biggest, like, end goal or tell us in life is to have joy, and yet it seems like for many Americans, happiness eludes us. In fact, a recent survey um, came out with um, some staggering conclusions that two-thirds of Americans, two-thirds, two-thirds of Americans are unhappy. In fact, this is a long-running research project for about nine years. They came up with this thing called a happiness index. I don't know what the metrics are, but basically over a nine-year period, the average, and we're looking at America, the average happiness index was at 35%, which tells us, man, we want to be happy, but we're not. It's, and it's, it's kind of a weird paradox because we got Disney Plus, right? We got Apple TV. We have technology. We have Netflix. We have we have medicine, we have all, all the like, modern stuff, we live in the richest country in human history, and most of us are unhappy. I came across this one um, study, it said that kids laugh 400 times a day. I love my son Quincy, Quincy, I love that kid. He, when you get him going, like you say something, and he starts to love, it, uh, laugh, he loves to, but laugh, it just comes out of his gut. Right? He just laughs and laughs and laugh, laughs and it's contagious and you start laughing and then everybody starts laughing and then you, know, you start hitting and then they lose it and I got to give them a timeout. <laughs> Kids, 400 times a day laugh. Adults laugh, check this out, only 15 times a day. Lately, and I'm going along with one pastor that I know, I laugh about one time a day, but I'm getting better. Can I get an amen? So we are, we're kind of in this weird conundrum. Right? We want to be happy, but we're not happy. So what's, what's the issue? I'm going to get to the joy part here pretty quick. But i, I got to go through this really quick. And it's not going to be that nuanced, but just kind of bear with me. I think there's some reasons why we're not happy. Number one, we have a deficit. I'm going to call it a deficit syndrome. And call it scarcity. Call it whatever you want. One author says that we are, our lives are shaped, or like the defining feature of our, our cultural life is shaped by this discouragement conspiracy. In fact, he makes the case that it's a foot. Like, it's every, every single day when you wake up, we work from an assumption that we have a deficit. If you're an advertiser here today, please forgive me. Continue to be an advertiser. But advertisement on one level 
plays or exploits this sense of inadequacy that many people have. Like advertising tells us, man, um, if you want to look good, you, you got to get rid of skinnies and you got to wear bell bottoms. That was a bad joke. Okay. Um, or, man, if you got a wrinkled face, you got to put cream on it. I don't know if it's, is it cream? Or you put stuff on your face, right? Uh, if you have wrinkles, you can go Botox. If you've done Botox, that's great. In five years, I'll probably do Botox. But just come on, right? We're told that we don't look good. We have wrinkled faces. We're overweight. We need this diet, right? Axe body, uh, body spray for men. Basically, the message is you are unsexy, and the way to get sexy is to put on this soap or whatever, right? Can we talk about that in church? Some of you are making this really awkward for me. <laughs> Lord have mercy. We are basically, we're taught, we're trained through advertising, and this is kind of our cultural experiment, that, man, we are working from a deficit. We're deficient, right? We don't have it what it takes. So in order for us to flourish or to get, get into happiness on the inside of it, we need this car, like we need those bell bottoms, right? We need to be in this city. We need to have that house or whatever. This is the, the age in which we live in. In fact, this is going to be my first and last dad joke of the night. This is a horrible parable, but it's the parable of two cows, okay? And it goes like this. Because we're in Idaho, can we talk about cows? First service is so much more lively. <laughs> One day... Oh, Lord have mercy. One day, a milk truck um, drove by two cows grazing. On the side of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, vitamin A added, right? It passes by. One, one cow looks to the other cow and says, makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? <laughs> it's all right. I know when I was putting this sermon together, it's like, ah. I, I got to be honest, I, it's not that funny, but it, <laughs> not that funny. I will never use that again. But it describes, I think it describes where a lot of people are at. We just were made to feel inadequate. Number two, one of the biggest things that many Americans are experiencing is anxiety. We are in anxiety, in the throes of an anxiety crisis. Uh, anxiety is it's not basically it's fear. Fear is a part of anxiety. But anxiety is going up into the mountains and imagining five grizzly bears attacking you. So anxiety works in what-if scenarios, right? And, and we are in this crisis of anxiety, and much of which is connected to we now have catastrophe on our phones. We have smartphones, and in, in an instant, we can get news about some sort of global catastrophe, and it's reshaping and rewiring our brains. And so sociologists are making the causal link between how we've catastrophized our lives through news media, through smartphones, through iPads, through all that kind of stuff, and with anxiety. We are now imagining worst case scenarios. And we know you cannot have joy, deep abiding joy, if anxiety is the defining feature of your life. Number three, another problem, one of the reasons, major reasons why we don't enter into happiness or what I like to call is joy, is that we hurry our way through life. Yeah. Hurry and distraction kind of like are the inside and the outside of the same thing. Yeah. 
right? Um, one scholar says we are surrounded with weapons of mass distraction, right? We got, we got iPads everywhere, right? We got TV everywhere. We got news everywhere, everywhere. You go home and you just got stuff always being advertised, being declared, being shouted, uh, and it, it distracts the mind. And when you're distracted, you can't enter into joy. When you're distracted, your understanding of reality becomes superficial. And so distraction and hurry kind of work together because when you hurry, you're distracted, right? And when you're distracted, you can't get into the joy that God wants to gift you. In fact, Corey Tenboon said this, if the devil can't make you bad, what is he going to do? He's going to make you busy. He's going to make you busy. For example, my, um, my dad, how many of you love Pastor Ken? He's our founding pastor. So he, he's 95% perfect. He has one flaw. If you're a police officer, please forgive him tonight. He is a speeder, right? So he would put us in the, in the car. We would get on 84, and we would drive 100 miles an hour, sometimes 80, 92, sometimes 102, I think. So we fly to, and my, my grandparents lived on a ranch in Gooding, Idaho. And um, he would go really fast, and we would, to, to pass the time, because we didn't have iPads back then or, or phones, we just had our imagination, right? Uh, my sisters and I, Rochelle and Trace, and I would play a game called Count the Cows. Have you guys ever played that? If you live in Idaho long enough, you will count the cows. Uh, so, you know, be, me being older, I, you know, I had more integrity, and so... Let me just describe, at the end of the game, if you don't know the game, is like the winner is the one who counted the most cows, right? So it's, it's based on an honor system. And so I would try to do my best to approximate. Everyone would say approximate. But when you're going 102 miles an hour, I cannot believe that, Pastor Ken. Um, it's hard to like count all the cows. So I tried to be honest, and so we get to our destination, Gooding, Idaho, and I would tell my dad, my dad asked us how many cows you counted. I would say like, you know, 72 or something, trying to give a good approximation. Rochelle had integrity, but a little less than me. And so she would say something like 150, because she was smart. She knew she couldn't go higher than that. She said 150, and we start getting into a fight. And then Tracy, the youngest, she has a lying problem. She didn't care about it. I'm not joking. One time we got to Gooding, Idaho, and I said something like 72. Rochelle said something like 115. Trey said like 2,000, Dad, 2,000. I counted 2,000, right? Well, here's the thing, Trace. No, you didn't count 2,000 cows. So what are we trying to say? Well, here's the thing. You can't, you can't speed your way through life and assume that you can experience joy and grace and love, everything will be an approximation. I, I guarantee you just go through life hurried. You will have more stress, more anxiety, more shame, more fear. Your understanding of yourself, your understanding of grace, your understanding of joy will be elusive and superficial. Because you can only approximate. You can't get into something when you're going too fast. So we have a hurry problem because we have a hurry problem. We got a joy problem. Number four, uh, we have a problem with immediacy. We have an insatiable desire. You guys still with me? We have an insatiable desire for immediacy. 
Like everything is instant, right? We've talked about it. What I love about our technology is that we have Disney Plus. You can download anything just like that. Apple Books, you can download anything just like that. You go to Starbucks, you get your drink. How many of you love drive throughs Love drive throughs you, you get your drink like in 25, 30 seconds. 30 years ago, it was Folgers. Took you 10, you know, 10 years to make coffee, to brew it, right? But now everything is instant, and I think that's all right. But here's the thing, when everything is instant, when you get everything right away, when you live by immediacy, then there is the danger of failing to appreciate all the joys of life. The critical thing here tonight, and this is critical for joy, is you can either take things, we've talked about this before, you can either take things for granted or you can take things with gratitude. To take things for, gratid, uh, for granted is to devalue something. To take things for gratitude is to give value to it. Let me just give you a little, a little principle, a little Bible principle. What you appreciate always appreciates. And the more you appreciate something because you see its intrinsic value, the more it augments in your life. And the more that thing becomes larger, whatever that is, grace, love, God's presence becomes larger and greater, and that is the pathway into joy. Can I get an amen? So it's important that we don't hurry. It's important that we uh, refuse to be distracted. It's important that we don't live by immediacy. Psalm 46 says this, step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at your God who is above politics, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number five, one of the biggest issues when it comes to happiness and the failure of many Americans to achieve happiness is we believe happiness is located in successfulness. Let me just tell you something really, I'm 43 years old and I'm realizing this more and more. I've, I've been in ministry for 22 years. I've counseled a lot of people, heartbroken people who really, good people, but who really believe that they could find happiness in cars, in money, in achievement, in status. And many people have come who have believed that to me crying, saying, Chris, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what to do because it's not making me happy. Sociologists are making the case now that there is a weak correlation between joy and prosperity. There's a strong correlation, they will tell you, between joy and uh, purpose. What we need more than anything is not prosperity. What we need is purpose. Right? You need purpose this evening. So we've bought into the lie that, man, if I have success, I can have happiness. I know of guys, I, I, I know of guys who have made it very clear to a pastor friend of mine that, and these are guys who have achieved the, the greatest success you could ever imagine. One guy made $100 million in one calendar year. He called my friend and he said, I thought $100 million would make me happy. And I'm stinking miserable, right? Money can't buy you. It can't. Can I get an amen? Number five, or excuse me, six, and I think this is the biggest one. Uh, we know something's wrong as I kind of close this part of the service. There's something wrong with our world. We know it. It's a primal sense that something's wrong. We, we're living, and you might not be able to phrase it like this, but it's, it's as if we're living in like this cosmic shipwreck, right? I like to call it ontological wreckage. 
Like we just know creation itself is staggering, it's wobbling, there's something off. Can I get it like a witness to that? Something's broken. Like what is it? We try to locate this in like the Republican Party. We try to like locate this in the, Democrat, the, the, the Democrats or the Speaker of the House, Pelosi or the President, Trump. I'm not trying to be controversial, but what we try to do is we, we try to locate evil somewhere outside of ourselves. Again, it's linked up with we know cancer still ravages bodies. We know marriages still fell. Politics are feuding, right? Philadelphia Eagle fans are alive and celebrating today. No? They didn't do it for you? Okay. So what is it? Evil's out there, but evil's not just out there. The New Testament, the Bible, in fact, tells us that evil runs through every human heart. In fact, G.K. Chesterton answered an ad in, I think, 1924. And the ad said, hey, um, I want... Basically, the editor goes, um, writes the question, uh, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, brilliant philosopher, answers the ad, writes a little thing. He says, dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with this world? Yeah, there are things out there that are wrong. Yes, racism is wrong. Yes, psychopaths and killing people is wrong, right? But more than that, we know that evil runs through every human heart. We're wrong. So where's the joy? Well, I think in order for us to really figure out joy, right? For us, to, we talked, we, we sung it tonight, joy to the world. We talked about go, go tell it on the mountain, right? Go tell it on the mountain? Actually, one of the chorus, right? It was shout it, scream it, like go everywhere. Right, come on, I don't know if you, that to me is like the, the epitome of joy. So why, when we live in kind of this cosmic shipwreck, right, things are going bad. We have super funguses, and there's an environmental confusion, and there's just so much going on in our world. How can we celebrate? How can we sing joy to the world? How can we say, go tell it on the mountain? How can we praise? How can we thank? God. Well, Luke, too, as we read it, gives us the answer. But what I love about Luke in his gospel is that he doesn't rush us into joy. This is important. Hear me. In order for us to understand true, abiding, deep, let it go, wild joy, you first have to grasp the, the, the real presence of evil in this world. And Luke, what I love about him, he's honest. How many of you think we need more honesty? Luke, too, he sets the setting. And with honesty, he's not sentimental. In an unsentimental way, he tells us the world is not right. He says Caesar's in charge, right? God's people are, are oppressed. They're living in exile. Caesar decrees attacks. If you know anything about Palestine in the first century, Three-fourths of Palestine lived on subsistence. They're already poor. They're an oppressed people. God's people have also been unfaithful. Luke, in line with all the prophets from Zechariah to Isaiah to Joel, I could go on and on and on, is telling us the story that creation is spoiled. It is made unrecognizable not only by Caesar, not only by the powers, but by these anti-creation forces, death, disease, human folly, sin, restless evil. 
So Luke begins with a problem. Caesar's in charge, not God. God's people are oppressed. They have no hope. Like they can't get out of this problem. In fact, I think Luke would agree with the statement that you can't science your way out of your problems. Positive thinking, hey, cool, that's great. But what we need more than positive thinking when it comes to the problems that we face in our life is more than just nice, cute thoughts. We need more grace. We need God, right? Self-help techniques are great. Human potential, it's awesome. But when it comes to Luke chapter 2, we find that what we need is we need rescue. We need, we need rescue. We can't break the power of our addictions in our own strength. I, here's kind of the weird, it's counterintuitive, but here's the weird thing when it comes to joy. Man, we can't get into joy on our own, and we're built for it. How do we, how do we get into it, right? That we need more than, please hear me, we need more than just ourselves. We need more than just an app. We need more than just like technology. That's all good stuff. We need more than human potential. In fact, Luke is rebuking human potential. Luke tells us that we need God. And he transitions. He tells us that Caesar's in charge. And then he transitions into the, the announcement of the angels to the shepherds, which is, as we read, it's glad tidings of great joy. What is joy? Joy, in the words of one pastor, is a pervasive sense of well-being. The angels are announcing great joy, glad tidings. Glad tidings, in this ancient world as I close, was used to describe the birth of a king. It was used to describe a military victory. In fact, glad tidings was, a, was about a real event in the space-time universe. When someone announced glad tidings, evangelion, it meant that something had happened to our world. So what Luke is telling us when he tells us that the angels announced glad tidings of great joy, he's saying that Christianity is not just good advice, it's not just a philosophy on life, it's not just 12 rules of life, it's not just like a set of ethics, it's not just about like some moral world that we inhabit, right, so that we can become better and nicer, whatever. No, Chris, Christmas, everyone say Christmas. Christmas is first an event. It is good news. It's the announcement of great joy. Why great joy? Well, because God has arrived and the angels tells us that God is our Savior and He is the King and he is the Messiah. He is the Savior, hear me. He is the King, and he is the Messiah. In other words, many people think that Christmas is like, oh, we're like platonic souls. Like Christmas is about like, you know, Ricky Bobby was a little confused, like prayed a little baby Jesus, right? And then you get your heart forgiven, yes, Jesus in your heart, and then you fly off into some disembodied bliss we call heaven, right? And then you shine like the cosmic stars. You shine like Rihanna's diamonds or whatever, right? A glow stick for eternity. 
To be honest, that's my definition of, of hell, right? <laughs> Embodiedness is a gift. The early Christians were not singing and rejoicing that God came and rescued us from this planet so we could be little disembodied chubby babies playing harps for eternity. What's Christmas about? Christmas is, you might not like this language, I don't know if I like it, it's called invasion. Probably a better way of saying it. Christmas is not about us going to heaven, Christmas is about how God or heaven, God's space, has crashed into our world. With the arrival of a little baby, and the arrival of the little baby basically, Luke is telling us, is the inaugural event of the king and the kingdom. In fact, what Luke is telling us, you have a savior who will come and rescue you and me from our sins, from our bad habits, from everything that defaces us. It is Jesus who will make us whole. It's Jesus who will give us joy that we so desperately long for. It's Jesus who will forgive us of our sins. It will Je it's Jesus who breaks the power of shame, and anxiety, and depression that cripples us. He is our rescuer. But, it, but Luke also says that with the arrival of little baby Jesus, Luke is saying, here is the king of kings. In other words, death, disease, corruption, everything that is disfigured, God's beautiful world is now being replaced and is now under new management. And now Jesus, not cancer, Jesus, not Caesar, Jesus, not depression, Jesus, not anxiety, Jesus, not sin, Jesus, not racism, Jesus, not environmental, what chaos, whatever you, whatever the thing is. Jesus is Lord of all. And as I close, you find this being fleshed out as the drama of Luke's gospel unfolds. Jesus, as he begins his ministry at the age of 30, heals the sick. He's transforming parts of creation by healing the sick and by taking bread and multiplying it, by doing astonishing miracles. In fact, what Jesus is doing throughout his ministry is he's absorbing death and corruption and sickness and sin into his body. And it's in his death at the cross that he defeats death. He defeats every anti-creation force. This is good news. This is not good advice on how you can be prettier. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Give Botox. But more than Botox, we need Jesus. It's through the death of Jesus and then on the third day through his bodily resurrection that Jesus now is in charge of everything from angels to armies to subatomic particles to your body, to your family, to your brain chemistry, to that sickness that you were diagnosed with, to the sin that gra gra grasped your heart. Everything that goes against God's good purposes for your life is defeated through the life and death, burial, and life and ascension of Jesus. So why do we sing? Why do Christians sing all the time? Why do we sing joy to the world? 
In fact, there's no other world religion that sings like Christians. Like sports, you know, you go to a sporting event, people kind of chant, and they don't really sing. Like you could go to like a concert, obviously they, they sing, but Christians sing all the time. They sing on Sunday, they sing on Christmas Eve, they sing on Good Friday, they sing on Easter, they sing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We have a singing problem. Why? It's because that, oh man, Chris, Christmas is all about going to heaven. No. It's about, oh, Christmas is about being, a, you know, it's like good advice, you know, how we can become a good person. No. Christmas is all about the reality that Jesus is in charge. Death has been defeated. God has won the victory over all evil. And you can be a part of this. You can experience joy. You don't have to be dead, right? You don't have to struggle with despair and depression and hopelessness and addictions. Can I get an amen here? You can be free. This is good news. This is why, man, we should be better at celebrating. This is why we should be better at, man, singing, right? Throwing parties, doing crazy things. And this is where I end, and then we're going to transition into our candlelight service. How do we then respond to this good news? Right? So if this good news is not like good, good advice, but it's like something's happened to the t- space-time universe, right? Fundamentally, the fabric of creation has been transformed by Jesus, right? We're saying that Jesus will be um, all in all. We're saying that Jesus, not death, will have the final word, right? We're saying that Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye. This is what we're saying. So if that's the case, how should we respond as followers of Jesus? Well, I think we should respond with joy. I think joy is a habit. I think, I, I don't know if you can will yourself into joy. I don't know if you can will yourself into like celebrating. Like some of us, I know this year probably sucked for you. Maybe some of you are mourning um, a loved one who maybe lost their life this year. Maybe you're going through a really difficult season and you're like, Chris, I can't. I, I, I hear what you're saying, it's good news, but I don't know if I can respond emotionally to that. Don't worry about the emotions part. Let God take care of the emotions. Joy is not just an emotion, and it is, but it's, it's a habit. It's a practice that we pick up. In fact, what I love about the liturgical calendar and church, as I close here, church history, liturgical history, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has practiced Christmas in a countercultural way. Usually December 1st, or we'll say Thanksgiving, we start the holiday season, right? And it leads all the way up to December 25th, and we're exhausted, and we're tired, and we hate everyone. No? It's just bad jokes tonight. (laughs) What liturgical calendar does differently, this is what I love about it, is that they start the festivities not on December 1st, but they start the festivities on December 25th. And they take 12 days and they just celebrate and they respond to the good news that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings with joy. I remember 2007, Shane and I think it was Ben Ben Kelly and Mark Francie and I, we were at my parents' house and we were watching a game Boise State Broncos were playing uh, Oklahoma Sooners in the Fiesta Bowl, if you remember. Apparently most of you are from California, okay? 
How many Bronco fans do we have? So, you remember Jared Zabransky throws, I think, the pick six. Where I'm crying, like I'm 32 years old, I'm crying, like we lost it. I remember my mom, she's like, Chris, you just gotta believe. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna believe. Remember the hook and ladder, right? We end up going to overtime, crazy trick plays, we end up winning. You might judge me for this, but I think it was an appropriate response to the good news that we won, we defeated Oklahoma. I think it was Shane's idea, I just kind of followed his lead. But we decided to take our shirts off, right? And uh, we went outside and we ran around the neighborhood screaming and shouting on the mountains about the good news that the Broncos won. Now you might think that's a crazy response. I think some people shouldn't do that, especially if you haven't been working out like me. Tough crowd, tough crowd. Um, that's an appropriate response. So what should our response be this Christmas season? I, I think it should be, let's celebrate. Starting tonight. Well, Chris, I don't feel like it. That's fine. I get it. Maybe you had a really rough year and you're trying to figure things out. Maybe you just have a genetic makeup where you're just, you, don't, you don't really like to be uh, vocal. That's fine. I'm not trying to force anything here. But I think as Christians, our only only response should be let's throw a party the next 12 days. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to give you a 12-day challenge. Let's be bold. Let's be daring. Let's go crazy. Let's let go. Let's be wild. Let's pick up the practice of celebrating. How do we do that, Chris? Well, I think some of you, you, you know how to cook really good steak, cook a really good steak, invite your friends, invite your family, sing some good carols. Chris, I don't know how to sing. Don't even worry about it. Just let it go right? Let it go. Um, maybe you're singing is not your thing. Maybe pick up some um, playing cards, tell some stories, practice laughing. Just laugh. Practice it. Sit down with your kids. Tell a funny story. It might not be funny the first time, right? Second time might be a little bit funnier, but practice, practice the habit of laughing. Maybe pick up Risk. How many of you love the board game Risk? Dominate the world with joy, right? Do celebratory things, right? Do things extravagantly. And as you do things extravagantly, like make pancakes, right? In the words of one author, with extra syrup, right? Come on. We're happy people. We're joy-filled people. If you're vegan, okay, take an asparagus, drizzle it with balsamic vinaigrette, <laughs> char it, I'm, what, what, I'm, I'm kidding. Like, if you're a vegan, you're, you're always going to be depressed. All right, let's move on. You guys laughed. All right, that was, I'm going to use that next week. Do celebratory things, and as you do celebratory things, as you throw a party, invite your friends, invite your family, do this. Don't worry. Don't worry about January 1. Don't worry about January 25th in that doctor's appointment. Don't worry about February 20, whatever. Don't worry about April 15th in taxes. Don't worry about what's going to happen in June. Don't worry about 10 years from now. Don't what if your life. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. This doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It just simply means you don't have to worry anymore because God's word is the last word over your life. And this is the most important thing. When you, start, when you pick up the habit of celebrating, right, when you pick up the habit of joy, you'll start to feel joy. And when you start to feel joy, I really believe this, joy is the bedrock for helping behavior. 
I think the most joyful people in the world are the most helpful people. So as we pick up the practice of joy, as we choose to not worry by remembering that Jesus won the victory over all things and he's in charge, even when it feels like I'm not in charge, what we need to do is we need to find someone, and this is where I close and I'm gonna pray for everyone. Let's do this the next 12 days. Please find somebody, please, and help them. I don't care if it's a stranger. Well, doesn't matter, I'll say it this way. It doesn't matter who that person might be. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about helping someone, I just want you to be bold. I want you to, to step out of your comfort and I want you to help and serve and love people in this city. Please do it. Can we be bold? Can we stop? Like some of you are like, I don't know if I can do this, but if the Holy Spirit says stop and you're driving in your car and there's someone on the side of the road, do it and bless them. If there's someone in the restaurant, go to a restaurant and you're having a great time, you're eating steak or sushi or whatever your thing is and you see a family over in the corner, just bless them. Pay for their meal. Don't pay for their appetizer. Come on, somebody. Go extravagant. Pay for their meal, give them dessert, pay for the tip, bless them and tell them, hey, you know what? God loves you. This is what we need to do. This is, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to talk about this a lot more as we go into 2020. We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to help people. You can't help people if you're not celebrating the goodness of Jesus. You won't. You focus on yourself. When you focus on yourself, you can't focus on other people. So let's be bold. Let's celebrate. Let's not worry. And let's help someone this Christmas season. And everyone said amen. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are here. Jesus, we thank you for the good news. Lord, we thank you that you've taken this upside down world, this cosmic shipwreck of a world, and through Jesus, the birth of your son, you have turned it right side up. Lord, we thank you for your healing tonight. We thank you for your joy. Lord, we make a decision. Could you take your hands and put it on your heart? You don't have to do this, but if this is your church, just if, you, if you could, Lord, help us to, to pick up the habit of celebration. Lord, I thank you that we will put off worry and fear and anxiety and distraction and stress, and that we would just lean in to your joy. Lean into the good news, the victory of God. And Lord, I thank you that you would transform this Christmas season, not just for us, but for people in this city. Give us fresh ideas of how we can help people, how we can bless people, how we can serve and build for your kingdom in this city, in Jesus' name. As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, you would say, Chris, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian, or maybe you were a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but you're in a season, you're not following Jesus. And you would say, Chris, I want that joy. I realize, man, there's some brokenness in me. And there's, I, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I've tried, I've tried everything and I just can't fix myself. There's something wrong and I, I want Jesus to fix me. And I wanna participate in that 
pervasive sense of well-being that you talked about. So your eyes are closed, your heads are about you say, Chris, could you pray for me? I want God to take over my life this evening. Could you just, on the count of three, if you would like me to pray with you, could you just raise your hand? One, two, three, that's you. You say, Chris, I want God to take over my life. Could you just raise your hand? Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, if you raise your hand, could you just put on your heart? And I'd just like you to repeat, this is a simple prayer, it's not like a magic prayer, but we're just inviting Jesus to take over our life. Church would also like you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you're my savior. I thank you that you're my king. And I thank you for making a fresh start in my life tonight, in Jesus' name. Give me your joy, in your name I pray. And everyone said, amen.